Welcome to I Am, I Have. I'm Lucy Donoghue, and this podcast is brought to you by Happiful Magazine and Counselling Directory. Now, we all have mental health, and some of us will experience or live with mental illness, but that doesn't define who we are. Through I Am, I Have, we'll meet with some wonderful people who have spoken out about mental health and illness, and find out more about who they are and the passions that shape their lives, as well as their own reflections on mental health. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share your thoughts on social media if you like what you hear using the hashtag I am, I have. I'm so pleased to welcome Rose McGowan on I am, I have. It's lovely to have you here, Rose. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. I am, I have is all about who we really are. So rather than me telling everyone about you, I am going to ask if you could introduce yourself, if that's okay. Sure. Hi, I'm Rose McGowan, and I am a former actress, a current author, and I guess kind of an unstoppable force for change. And you've given us three I ams and one I have, and we're going to go straight in with your first I am, which is I am brave. Tell us more. Well, my father said to my sisters that you can't tell Rose her nickname, which is the brave one, until after I'm dead. I don't want her to get a big head. And I was like, you're so weird, Dad. Even in death, you're a strange fellow. But it made sense, and and it's nice knowing that he saw me. You know, I've always been kind of bold, but it's not driven by ego. It's driven by fear. You know, I've always really resented being afraid. Of things and so instead of shrink from them I kind of lean into them like I'm scared of heights so I jumped out of a plane. So you tackle it head on. I just kind of lean into the wind and it doesn't make it pleasant or fun all the time not by any stretch but it's kind of a compulsion and I'm the person they're like don't step back I'm like why not and step back you know it's and then I fell down a mine shaft once actually doing that exact thing. <laughs> Bravery is something that I think is misconstrued a lot. I think a lot of people think, oh, some people have it or you don't. And I think it's something that's really earned and developed. You can cultivate a braveness. Absolutely. I really think so, you know. And a lot of people don't utilize that strength that they actually have. And I think a lot of the reason is because it gets taken away from them so young. Yeah. And bravery in terms of age and developing it from a child I have your book Brave sat in front of me now and you talk about several occasions on which you were brave as a child when people were trying to a woman in particular was trying to talk to you about what you were feeling or what you were believing and you refused to tell the truth you wanted to be brave and you wanted to be authentic so is this something that has developed from a very young age for you do you think yes I've always been this way. I'm not really sure what the blessings are, but I know what the curse of it is. I guess the blessing is I've made friends with being kind of a loner and an outsider. I've made friends with loneliness. I've made friends with kind of me and my shadow. And I've always, I just, and I think I inherited this from both of my parents and my lineage. I just come from a long line of people that want to do their own thing and live outside the norm. But I have fought from such an early age to keep my own voice. That was something I still have yet to meet the person I would sell myself out for. And I think a lot of people, to avoid discomfort, 
will sell themselves out and will do the easier thing, but it's easy only in the short term. And I think in the long term, it chips away at your integrity and who you really are. And the more you give that away, the less you have. I agree. And I needed all I had to survive. Survival is a big theme in your book. And something that I've heard you say a number of times is being brave doesn't mean that your knees aren't knocking. It means that you do it anyway. Exactly. So sometimes people think if someone is being brave, they might be fearless or they might have this thing that nobody else does that that doesn't sense that fear. I think you are saying, I feel that fear and I have to do it anyway. I feel compelled to do it anyway. That's exactly it. It is a different way to live, but I I think the payoff is so much greater, ultimately. I don't know what the payoff is exactly yet. (laughs) Each person has, I think, their own definition of what bravery is for them, but it's definitely getting outside of your comfort zone. But who wants to be comfortable all the time, you know? And the thing is, is that when difficult situations arise, we can either shrink from it or we can lean into it. And by leaning into it, I think we can actually change the world. I think so too. And your book, Brave, how was that to write? Was that Did that feel like a very brave act to put everything down? Because it is certainly a lot of your past, but also your thoughts on how we move forward as a society with Rose Army, which we'll talk about later on, and, and just a kind of collective bravery. So how was the process of writing the book for you? The process of writing the book was um, kind of a brutal one, and it felt like my brain grew a terabyte writing it. It just it kind of stretched it to the limit because the way I wrote it was I mixed kind of almost like a self-help book with an autobiography. You know, it's, they call it a manifesto, which seems a little Karl Marxian, but I think it's more, I mean, honestly, I wrote it to help people by using my stories as an example. And the writing process was long and arduous. It took about three years. So it predated, you know, all the Me Too stuff and all that by by a big chunk of time. And, you know, Hemingway said, writing is easy. You just sit at the typewriter and bleed. <laughs> and that's what it felt like. But afterwards, I'm only now kind of feeling the catharsis of it. But a lot of the angst I had with my father and a lot of kind of my anger in general, I think, has somewhat dissipated because of it. Like I worked through a lot of the past. And because I also wrote for the future, you have to, you know, walk the talk or talk the walk, walk the talk. And so I do. I try to live my life bravely and I try to live it with the best intentions for others and just to kind of really help the planet and people in general. What I like is you reassert time and time again that we are all humans. Yes. We are all people. We are all humans. And actually, there should be a way of being better. You say if we could all just be 10% better, that's what comes across really strongly in what you're talking about. Let's just be a bit better. Yeah. And it's super arbitrary, that number that I came up with. I was sitting at home one night and just wondering about being a better person. And I thought, I wonder what percentage of better I could achieve if I put my mind to it. And I thought 10% seemed like a doable goal. But it's really funny when I would tell people in Los Angeles that specifically LA, they're like, oh, I don't know, maybe 3%, 10%. I don't know. They always did that. And I thought it was a really funny and very particularly LA thing. 
They're not so big on being better people, apparently. (laughs) And I just kind of was thinking of cars and how they drive on the freeway. And I thought if we could all go 10% faster, wouldn't we get there in a smoother, more painless way when we would arrive at our destination sooner? And wouldn't that be nice for everybody? And I just started thinking, like, if you can make each level of consciousness that's out there 10% better then society will move in a more streamlined fashion and, and we can actually accomplish what we need to accomplish and we can be the humans we were meant to be before they took it away from us or before they tried. And also conscious. It makes you look at how you're, if you like, performing as a human being or how you're yeah. being as a being. Yeah, why should we only get reviews at work or something? Yeah. Or when a movie comes out or why not review yourself? Yeah. And that's something that also comes through time and time again is question, question everything. Sit down with yourself and question yourself. Get to know yourself. And I assume through this book you have got to know more of yourself. And also you did the the programme Citizen Rose last year as well. Did that give you any different perspective? Uh, That time when I was doing the documentary, it was a four-part documentary, and the first two hours of it, the first episode was two hours and that one I had control of the edit and worked really hard on it had a lot of my music in it and art and it was really unique and beautiful the other three episodes I didn't watch because it was almost happening in real time okay and it was literally too painful of a time it was a very traumatic period for my life and I couldn't I couldn't relive what was happening literally like the week or two before it was, it was too much for my brain, and so I still haven't seen them. But I'm very proud of what I did. I wanted to show truth, and I wanted to show how hard it was to fight. And, and that, generally speaking, I'm a fairly joyful person. It's just like all of us, when we have hardships and we endure them, imagine just letting a camera be on you. Yeah. And I did that just to show some honesty in the world. And I put it on E so it could be the anti-Kardashians. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that. The, it's just counter-programming. It's fantastic. Yeah. And I don't think they really knew what to do with me. I think they were terrified of me, frankly. <laughs> I think the greatest thing about both the book and the program is that your voice was out there yeah. last year, which was really, really important, that your words from your mouth were being heard and you were being seen. So, Which had never happened. So thank you for doing that. You're welcome. I'm going to move on to your next I am, which okay. is I am strong. Yeah. Tell me about strength. Strength is something that, you know, weirdly doesn't go hand in hand with bravery. I think strength, I'm strong in my convictions. I'm strong in my mind. I have a strong personality, I suppose. I've been told anyway. <laughs> I... I love things with strength, and I respect strong people now. Strength could be the person working as a bag boy, you know, at the grocery store, even though I know in England you bag your own groceries. <laughs> but in the U.S., we still have people who bag them for you because we're lazy. <laughs> and But there's, you know, anybody can be strong. And I don't mean strong, like, physically. That's nice, too. I don't think I'm particularly strong physically. But I definitely think strength of character is something that counts and something we should cultivate. One of the things I do generally now and then is uh, write down both my fears and my belief system 
-hmm. What are my beliefs? What do I hold to be true? And I try to sort out what's been implanted in me by society and what are my own. And I try to get rid of the implantation. It's kind of like if you look at your life as a big piece of fabric and you have all these threads running through it, what are the synthetic ones and what are your organics? And the ones that are organic to you, you can keep. And the synthetic ones, you just look at them and pull them out. And you're like, you know what? And you have to acknowledge it. And one of the things I think is really important by making a fear list is it kind of gives you a roadmap of where to lean in and how to be better. And the strengths you can take from removing that synthetic threads yeah. is, is knowing where you're being impacted consciously after you've been carrying stuff for a while so again when I was reading your book I was thinking about you were talking about the programming and the conditioning that we receive unknowingly whether it's from Hollywood or whether it's from advertising um, family. program family and that was one of the things that that I started to think about is that we are quite blind to it we're quite blind to yeah to that because it has always been from a very young age from the moment that you start to watch a cartoon right from your first books uh, especially um if you identify as female um princesses right that there's the narrative around princesses that we're told it you never think of it as being something that's being imposed. It just is. It just is. I was very lucky in how I grew up. Um, there was certainly a lot of challenges in how I grew up but and some very dark times. But overall, I grew up with some very free-minded individuals, and there was no implantation of the princess thing. There was no implantation of, you're this age, you're allowed to read this. There was no implantation of societal expectations to be pleasant and polite and I just didn't have that so but I see it in other people and I see how quickly they get programmed and how quickly they get stolen and how quickly their creativity gets taken off the shelf or their emotional landscape you know men most especially people that identify as men get really really boxed in and it breaks my heart yes. and women get just sold this false bill of goods that if women are always told they're less than, guess what? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Absolutely. We need to counteract that. We do. When did you move to America from, because you grew up in Italy, yeah. and you moved to America. What age were I was you? I 10. You were 10. Yeah. Because you talk about how it was quite a shock. It was, it was noisy. Awful. The food was bad. The food was disgusting. There's a moment where you talk about picking up a spaghetti bolognese thinking, I'm going to have some spaghetti. I was so excited. I was like, my home food. And no. then suddenly it's disgusting and it was everything's so noisy. Yeah. It was a gelatinous blob that had all this water underneath it. And I started crying because I knew my life was never going to be the same. And I've kind of gone on food strike ever since then. Unless I'm in... If I'm in Italy, I eat a lot. The rest of the time, I just eat to survive. I don't really care. So it's Italian food for you? Pretty much. And no place can really do it like Italy. It's just that's how it is there. And growing up on that and then going to America in the mid-late 80s with that cuisine, you know, and I, I, I say in my book, Dear America, why is your cheese orange? <laughs> <laughs> and I think it says a lot about their cuisine and, and their kind of way of life. Going back to strength and 
traveling actually so you have done um a lot of traveling yeah and obviously Italy is one of the places you go we see you um in the documentary go to Paris and Berlin do you take strength from being part of different cultures and visiting places that are other than LA I know you've moved now but moving away from that kind of geographic location of America very much so I started I mean I took my first international flight at age 10 with a tag around my neck by myself all the way. I navigated Heathrow at 10 by myself. That was a feat. Still couldn't do that. (laughs) And probably my favorite place I've been was Afghanistan. Yeah. And I went at the height of the war in 2010. And it was an incredibly memorable trip, obviously. And I went to Istanbul for New Year's. And then this little tiny mountain town outside of Istanbul, about like a five-hour flight, it's, I think it's so important to, and, and travel is expensive. There are ways to do it that it's not so expensive. I try to keep travel costs down, but still go to places. And it's very interesting. I mean, they talk about how few Americans have passports. Hmm. And I think that's a certain, one, obviously there's, there's the financial aspect But aside from that, I think it's more of a cultural thing of like America has this real cult-like mentality of don't leave, we're number one. The nationalism there is so off the hook and really lends itself towards this, this, you know, that whole like land of the free, home of the brave. But And that's cool. But if you've never been outside of America or where you're from, what do you know? You can't know. And the fact is, the more we travel, the more we see that we're the same. The more we see humanity in others, the more we are informed. And and it's just, I'm, I'm a great fan of leaving places. More than even arriving. I just like leaving for places, yeah. Can you tell us a bit about Rose Army and also the people you've met across the world when it comes to Rose Army? Yeah, something I started about three years ago, maybe even four years ago now, and I was in Brooklyn one day, and I saw this bent flower, this bent rose growing through the cracks in a sidewalk, and I was staring at it, and I was kind of thinking, oh my God, that's like most of us. We're bent, but not broken. We do bend, you know, and a lot of times it feels like we're going to snap, but we come back up because that's human nature, you know, and that's the fight that comes with just being alive and, and wanting to stay alive and trying to stay alive. And so I founded something called Rose Army, which is not self-referential, even though I didn't think about that. I was like, oh, it is my name, isn't it? Duh. I didn't even really think about that until later. And I was like, oh, that sounds kind of egotistical. But whatever. I knew my intentions. It's really a hashtag. And it's just kind of with the, the ethos of can we be better? Think, think differently, be better. And do you think differently? Are you a different kind of mind? Let's connect. And so it's, it's this hashtag kind of used all over the world. And people, you know, from Russia will hashtag Rose Army. And it's simply like a handshake. You know, I've had people walk by me and say Rose Army. And it, it's just literally a secret handshake of like, yeah, I'm cool. You cool? Not like I'm cool, but do you see the world? Do you see its beauty? Do you see its ugliness? Do you see where we can be better? And how do you help do that? And there's a collective strength from it as well. Yeah, social justice is important. Really important. Yeah. And you talk about the fact that a rose has thorns. 
Yeah, there's, there's that fantastic speech that you gave in 2017 at the women's conference where you talked about the fact that we have thorns and there are consequences to when people treat us badly. Yes. So is that something that's really important to you to to continue that conversation? Well, my mother always said I was a thorny person. <laughs> and I was like, well, you name me. <laughs> my sister's name is Daisy. And Daisy has like ringlet blonde hair and big blue eyes and has always been like the smiley child. And I was always kind of, well, the thorny one, really. But I think that's because I was so sensitive and people didn't sense that about me. So people have always kind of come at me in a really hard way a lot of times. And I am puzzled by the thorns... The rose doesn't want to stab people, but if they get close or grab it in an incorrect manner, they're there. And they do carry consequence, and there has to be consequence for actions, you know? There's something, when someone steals another human being, or their life force, or who they are, and alters the course of their life, and and their destiny, that's unforgivable to me, and there should be consequence, Absolutely. Hopefully in this life and not the next. Absolutely. So the rose is a real symbol of strength and protection to itself, but also... It's a delicate beauty. Yeah. You know, and it needs to be protected. And I think that's like all of us. I think we're all roses in our own life. Absolutely no pun intended on my name, I swear (laughs) to God. I know, I know. I'm going to move on to your next I am, which is I am funny. Woohoo. Uh yeah. I have uh I love laughing and I, I love a sense of humor and I kind of have a dry sense of humor, which I've been told is more British or Irish, which I like. Oh very good. I had a therapist I was seeing for a bit and he's like, Must you always make jokes about everything? And I was like, Yes. Otherwise I'd probably jump off a building. It really is sometimes, you know, especially in the last couple of years, it was almost at times, so extreme, the abuse directed towards me from the media and, and, and kind of the world, not the people on the street, but online and, and very much in the media and, and the monster that I was fighting, you know, and his whole coterie of bad guys and bad women. But I think humor is so essential. And I like being ridiculous at least two or three times a day. It's very important. It's very important. It's very important to to laugh. It's very important to engage with the child as well and be silly. Yeah. yeah. It's really, and I can imagine with the work that you've been doing over the last year and a bit longer, actually, much longer, that it would be very easy to be pigeonholed as a battle you know, you are someone who battles, you are someone who will stand up for what is right, you are someone who will speak out. But actually, you can be a million different you things. Can be a million different things. That's what's so beautiful about being human. And I am a battle. I am somebody who stands up. I am somebody who pushes back. I'm also somebody who sits on the couch and watches Netflix just like you. I'm also somebody who likes laughing with friends. I'm also somebody who knows how to make a really good spaghetti with tomato and basil, you know. We are many, many things, and that's what's so great about being human. And do you struggle with that? Do you struggle with the fact that when you are doing press tours, it's a bit a like today, yeah. that people just want to stick to the Rose McGowan that they know, 
the Rose McGowan that they've seen presented, whether that's what you have talked about, because they've seen a snapshot of that, because that's what made it to the news. They don't see all the other bits of Rose. Oh, definitely. I did a podcast yesterday and and, uh, the woman was lovely, but she was like, I was so scared to meet you. I was quaking in my boots. And I'm like, I'm a really genial sort. I think probably if you spent time with Citizen Rose, you'd see more of, you know, the spectrum. But I, you know, I'm not partly to blame, but the way I was presented for so long was artificially and and not true to who I was at all. But I, so I, I shrank from it and I didn't really, you know, a lot of people would go on talk shows and reveal these things about themselves. And I never did that. I was always very private and I hated how I was portrayed. So I didn't, and I knew anything I said would be misconstrued. And of course the media, you know, presents a really one-sided, one-dimensional aspect to a character without stopping and asking why does this person have to behave this way? Why is this person angry? Or why is this person against power abuse? Well, maybe because they've had abuse for so long they don't want to take it anymore, but they also think other people shouldn't either. And I was waiting for so long for someone else to rise up and do what I did, but they didn't come. Yeah. They didn't come and I knew it's kind of like having insider information. Well, it is, actually. But I just thought, I always knew I was meant to do something more than acting and more than being lauded for something that's a bit, that never quite sat right with me. Okay. But I always knew I was going to change the world. And I'm not done yet. I Maybe I still haven't done the big thing I'm meant to do. But I always knew it wasn't Hollywood. But I did use Hollywood to game the system. You said in a recent, well, last year interview that you felt you had about three more years public service in you. And then you were just going to do you. You were just going to do Rose. Are you still feeling the same way? Are you still feeling like there's a a point at which you need to gather yourself back in and do exactly what you want to do? Or, Or do you feel you're doing that now? I feel I'm doing that now. Yeah. Yeah, I really do. I think. I will always be a public servant. It's my nature. I grew up volunteering for this, that, and the other always, you know, um, helping with AIDS hospice with my dad and working with transgender youth when I was 23 and counseling runaways. And I've always, my whole family is really big on service. And I just, I don't know how to separate the two. I also don't really know how to live for myself. I'm still finding that out. I'm trying to figure out what that looks like, what that feels like, what it even means. Because when you are really well-known and you partly belong to the public or the public thinks you belong to them, Mm -hmm. it's a very skewed concept of what self is. And because I was always trying to help other people, I think I don't know any other way to be. You know, all of the volunteer work, most of it I've done, I did. I did, never took cameras with me because that felt false and it felt like you're using others to make yourself look good. Of course. And I just think that people can smell a rat. And I think it's better to just be honest. And if you're truly motivated to help others, then, then help others. You don't need the congratulations. It helps you more than it does help them ultimately. And maybe that's a big part of who you are, is that, that it's about projecting those actions outwards rather than kind of gathering inwards. Um, Yeah, uh, I think I'm coming to realize that the more 
time goes by and, and the, the more the trauma settles because, you know, it's really, really hard doing interview after interview while you know you have to push an agenda forward for social justice. You're seeing your rapist face everywhere. You're being triggered by stupid, inconsiderate questions and people thinking that, you know, your rape is uh, entertainment. And that's a brutally difficult thing to go through. And I really wouldn't wish it on anybody. No, I, I, I felt like I barely survived the last couple of years. But I always knew it was going to be the fight of my life. And I was right. It was. And where are you now? How are you? How are you today? Today I'm really good. I have down days. I have days where I'm like, what am I going to do with my life? And I cry. or, But then, you know... I go watch some crime show and forget about it. (laughs) Uh, Where I am in my life now, I'm in a really healthy relationship with a beautiful human. And that's helped me heal a lot, actually. I don't lean, I don't like leaning on people for my mental health. But it's been nice just to be with kindness because that was so absent in my life for so long. Hollywood is not known for its kindness. And neither is the media. And neither is Twitter. (laughs) No. It's not known for its kindness. No. And and to be with somebody who's kind and generous uh, has really helped me heal in a faster way than I think I could have on my own. And, you know, like last night I did a poetry reading and I went and filled my well with, with art and culture instead of, you know, I did interviews all day yesterday, but I didn't want it just to be me talking. You have to fill the well And that's something I'm learning while living for myself, you know. Um, And it's something I'm going to continue to do. And and to know on those down days that it's not forever. And that it's not as bleak as it sometimes looks. Because sometimes I'm like, what did I do? Oh, my God. I have no career now. I have no... But things are happening and things are different. And I was in one industry for so very long. I mean, it's the only real one I've ever known, you know, and it's a super fucked up industry. Sorry, I don't know if you can curse here. You can curse all you want. All right. Fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's not healthy for the mind, that place. And I grew up in a really damaging environment there. And I came into womanhood in a really damaging way. And now I get to be me and I get to be seen as me at least hopefully soon it'll be seen as a more dimensional me instead of what they promote as the kind of lady with the pitchfork (laughs) and I'd like to talk about the more dimensional you in your I have because you tell us I have creativity and recently you have shared some of your projects on Twitter um, and more generally so you did the wall song um do you want to tell us a bit about that? It's yeah. probably best coming from and you. And I, I do have creativity, and I feel like everybody does. And I think so many people think that creativity is like only if you're a photographer or a painter or you have something that validates that, you know. And I, I think that gets stolen from people at a very young age, much to their detriment and to society's loss. For me, I've been working on an album called Planet Nine for a while, and um, I did it. Uh, concurrent with writing the book and it was a heavy workload but also it was what saved my brain creating art and disappearing into another planet really 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 helped Um, the wall was just a protest song I did with my girlfriend about you know Donald Trump's wall and it was a 
a multi-ethnic cast just you know and i was thinking one night i was i had that war what is it good war what is it good for song stuck in my head and i started singing it with the word wall instead and then i told rain my partner about it and she said about making the project happen so that was just a quick little you know thing but you know everyone it's a fun way to protest it's playful but it's got meaning yeah exactly and it's good to do things that mean something and that are also playful. The album, I'm playing, I think, my first gig, hopefully at the Fringe Festival in August. And I've never performed live before. Mm-hmm. So that'll be, no, I've, I've you know, sang karaoke and stuff, but never my own work. And so that's both daunting and exciting. And, you know, my photography is coming along. I've been doing photography and visual arts for a long time behind the scenes. I need to get back to that. I... I kind of had to take a break in the last year and a half from creativity because I just had to fight every day. And there wasn't, when you're in active trauma, you don't, it's not, for me anyway, it wasn't really a creative place. It was a trying to survive place. But now I can get back to doing what I like to do, which is art. And I, it's the most time I've ever had for it. And that's lovely. You talk about the fact that you think the art that you have shows where you're you're at at your life when you bought it. Yes. And my collection. Yeah, I would imagine that the art you create is also showing you where you're at at that particular time in your life as well. Very much so. I directed a film called Dawn about three years ago, and uh, it's a full feature in 20 minutes. So it's a full three act structure, and it's. I was telling people what happened to me without telling them what happened to me. And I didn't know that until a while afterwards. I didn't even see that. I I identified with the story and I directed a hell of a piece. But I didn't see the parallels. I knew it was about, obviously I knew what it was about. It's about a young girl that kind of gets sent out to the world in 1961 expecting expected to be polite and perfect in all ways. Mm. And that's so much of what we train into girls in the first place. You know, be polite. Don't be rude. Be nice to the nice man. I, yet another thing I heartily disagree with, it's okay. I think it's better to be rude in the short term or stand up for yourself than to get hurt. And in that movie, you know, what happens when you send a girl out to the world is her hands tied behind her back. And she meets a predator. What happens? What happens when she has no defense because she's never been allowed to develop one? Yeah. And you feel that that really said where you were at at that time? Very much so. And it was the first project that ever came out in the world um, where I really got to speak for myself with my own voice. And it was nominated for Grand Jury Prize at Sundance, which was exciting. And it was the first time I'd been back there since being assaulted there you know, like 17 years before, and that was really uh, bizarre. Did it feel like you reclaimed that space? Yes and no. I was still pretty disregarded. Like every, it was a very lauded film, but every, almost every uh, review started with, we didn't know she had it in her. Or, and then I had a lot of questions, what did you learn from the men you worked with? And to which my response was, what not to do? Yes. I learned what not to do. Take what you want and leave the rest. 
Absolutely. And so the next thing is performing live after the, the release of um, the Brave, which yeah. comes out on March 5th in paperback in the UK. And uh, I'm also doing at the end of April and early May, like I said, some dates. Um, you know, one is the Story House I th- and then one is at the South Bank Center. And I'm doing it with a woman named Samantha Baker or Sam Baker. Yep. And we're just going to have a cool night, and I hope people come and check it out. Great. I hope they do as well. And at the Fringe with your music? Yes. Hopefully at the Fringe. We're in negotiations now. I'm going to ask you one final question. Sure. So at the end, I normally ask people, if they could go back to their teenage self, what would they say to them? And with you, Rose, I'd like to do it the other way around. So if you can go forward in time to Rose in 10 years from now, what do you hope she'll say to you? That's a hell of a question. I tend not to think about the future too much because it's something that can overwhelm me really easily. Okay. But I hope she'd be living in a farmhouse in Tuscany, learning how to paint. And I hope she would heal and be healed and also possibly be in politics, sticking it to the man. (laughs) The collective man, not the man. (laughs) I hope that too. I really hope that. It's going to be an interesting journey. It will be. Yeah. Thank you, Rose. Thank you. Please do check out Rose's amazing book, Brave, published by HarperCollins, out now. And please visit rosearmy.com to find out more about Rose's work and be part of the community. Finally, thank you for listening to I Am, I Have, brought to you by Counselling Directory and Happiful magazine. If you'd like to read more about mental health and wellbeing, head over to happiful.com and sign up to receive a free e-edition of the magazine every month. If you're looking for local counselling support, you can find over 15,000 counsellors at your fingertips. Visit counselling-directory.org.uk. If you need to speak to someone immediately, the Samaritans are available 24 hours a day on 116-123. And you can also email joe at samaritans.org. Help is available. This podcast has been produced by Happiful. If you've enjoyed listening, please subscribe, rate, review and share on social media. And please join us again soon. <laughs>